Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. I cover all things food, from cooking to gardening to fabulous ingredients to junk food, health, sustainability, even policy. You might say I'm obsessed with everything about food. Food is the one substance that connects everything to everything else, and it connects us all. Not only can we not live without it, not only does it determine much of what goes on in the world, but we love it. Hi, it's Mark Bittman, and welcome to Food. As is perhaps fitting for this episode, I'm in Bermuda, and you are hearing some feral Bermuda roosters, which uh, I'm, I'm recording this at 7.30 in the morning. The roosters have been going literally since 3 in the morning. I did get a couple hours of sleep. They started at 3. They went till 3.30 or 4. They stopped. They started again at 6. They haven't stopped since. As I said, they are feral, um, and I haven't figured out a way to stop them. A chicken guy, a guy who calls himself a chicken guy, came and took three of them away a couple of weeks ago, but they were immediately replaced by three others. Or maybe he pretended to take three of them away. Or maybe he admonished them. Um, I'm not in favor of killing them, but I'd love to figure out a way to get them out of here. I tried to physically 
wrangle one of them away from here and he mauled me. So that wasn't so smart. I'm a city kid. I know nothing. Anyway, I'm in Bermuda. We have beautiful water, beautiful sky, beautiful sun, beautiful flowers, miserable roosters, and lots of fish. And that's what we're talking about today. Not everybody knows this about me, but I began my food writing career writing about fish. My first cookbook was called Fish, and that had followed maybe 10 years of passionately writing about fish. I was working on fish, even for National Marine Fisheries Service. Uh, I was cooking fish so much that my kids still complain about it. Um, I just really had an affinity for fish. And, and the funny thing about those days, we're talking about uh, the early 80s, the concern among many people involved in the fisheries world uh, National Marine Fisheries people, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, uh, which ran a thing called Sea Grant, was that there was concern about overfishing, as there is now, but there was also concern about underfishing. So there was a feeling that if we could promote what they called underutilized species, and some people called trash fish, uh, we could save some of the more valuable fish like tuna and cod two of the fish that were being threatened back then and still are. That didn't work. The fish that were underutilized at the time, or many of them, I'm thinking of monkfish, I'm thinking of skate, some flounders, mackerel even, many of those so-called underutilized fish began to sell, in part thanks to the promotions that we were doing around how good they were, and of course they are good-eating fish, but also because the voracious demands of the aquaculture industry, the farm-raised fish industry, meant that fish had to be swept up from the oceans by the millions to be ground into fish feed, not only for fertilizer, which was a traditional use, but now also for fish food. So let's bring it forward to today when even more advanced technology allows ships to go into the middle of the ocean and literally vacuum up fish willy-nilly, the fish that's wanted is kept on board, the fish that's not is thrown back overboard, called bycatch, but effectively killed. And as everyone knows, a variety of species of fish are in trouble, um, probably more than half. One unusual thing that not everybody knows is that the United States is actually better about regulating its fishing industries than almost any other country, and maybe any other country in the world, but our Influence can only govern our own waters, probably a good thing, but what we need here is some kind of international agreement. There are a few that are pending, and there are some that are in force, but they're not effective enough. Piracy is a big issue. Overfishing in general is a big issue. We know that pollution and the effects of climate change are huge issues in our waters. Anyone who snorkels or scuba dives knows that reefs are smaller and there are fewer fish than there used to be. And anyone who fishes will tell you that there are fewer fish than there used to be. These are real things. So this is a long way of introducing my guest today, who is Ted Danson. You know Ted from Cheers and The Good Place and Curb Your Enthusiasm and several other shows. But Ted founded an organization called Oceana, and he is currently on its board of directors. And Ted is a passionate and, as you'll see, articulate advocate for sane fisheries management and sane protection of our oceans. It's a great conversation. And then when Ted and I are done, 
I'll follow up a little bit with Daniel Pauly, who's a well-known marine biologist who I've spoken to a number of times over the years, also associated with Oceana, although he does other work as well from his home in British Columbia. So if you're interested in fish, if you're interested in oceans, this is a great show for you. If you don't think you are, it's a great opportunity for you to learn. And I'll be back in a minute with Ted Danson. Much as I would love to give you um, what you might call Bermuda fish recipes, there really aren't very many. There's a chowder that can be pretty good, but it's hard to find a good version of it. So I can't say that I've recreated an authentic one. There's an awesome fried fish sandwich uh, often served on raisin bread. We'll get into that some other time. It's pretty funny. But um, one thing you do see is fish kebabs and you see them made of Wahoo of mahi mahi of yellowfin tuna of uh, sometimes swordfish, ocean fish mostly and and but this is a recipe that'll work with just about any firm fleshed fish and that uh, people around here make a lot and I make a lot so you start by making a paste from a few cloves of garlic with some salt and pepper some lemon juice fresh herbs if you have them oregano marjoram parsley. A uh, combination of those, cilantro is good in this too, and olive oil. Really mash that up and, and make it into a paste. Take fish, you want big steaks uh, to the extent you can get them for this, and cut it into two-inch chunks, big chunks. Rub that with the paste, thread it onto skewers, and then grill, preferably over real charcoal or even wood, turning as much as it's needed. I would pay attention to this. You want a beautiful grilled piece of fish until the fish is firm and a little bit browned, of course, even blackened. Uh, that shouldn't take more than five, eight minutes tops. And then they're ready. Serve that with lemon wedges and rice or potatoes or salad or whatever you want. That is one of my all-time standby grilled fish recipes and some great eating. So... I didn't have the heart to tell Ted Danson that I never once watched Cheers, though it turns out he doesn't care. Anyway, we all know Ted Danson for his TV roles, but the thing is that he's an advocate for fish in the sea, and he's not only a spokesperson for Oceana, the world's largest ocean conservation group, he started it. So he's totally cool and a great guy. Here's my talk with the most sympathetic demon in primetime. You know, I want to talk about Oceana, but I want to talk about fish. Everything that you read scares the bejesus out of you about fish. It's like you can't eat anything, and it would seem that a principled person would just throw their hands up and say, uh, maybe I can eat sardines and oysters, but after that, you know, it's like there's nothing sustainable anymore. And as soon as you say something is sustainable... Everybody eats it and it right. becomes unsustainable. But Oceana has a kind of eat fish friendly position on this. And I'd like to hear that explanation. Eat small, wild and local is basically what you just said. And that is a good rule of thumb. Because when you get into the larger fish, then you are definitely consuming more mercury than you want. You know, just the way things happen. You burn coal, the mercury falls into the water, the little fish get it through the gills, and then by the time 
that little fish is a really big fish. It's eaten so many other fish with mercury in them that it's really not safe for you. For real. Right. So we realized what we were doing was basically save the oceans, feed the world. And not just as a spin to get people's attention. Because if you talk fish, which we're doing, (laughs) you could put people to sleep in five minutes. But if you talk about feeding the world... You get a whole another group coming to the table, a group of funders, group of people interested, because that is a big subject. How do we feed the world with populations exploding? And as soon as you move from poverty to out of poverty, the, one of the first things you want is animal protein in your diet. Mm-hmm. And so the stress on land animals is getting worse and worse and worse. So you have here a p- perfect protein in that you don't use fresh water to make it, you don't cut down a rainforest to make it, you don't, you know, fish don't create all that methane or whatever it is, you know. Land-based agriculture uh, is one of the biggest drivers of climate change, of global warming. Right. You could have a billion fish meals a day, sustainably, every day, forever. Now, that's huge. We're at about five or 600 million right now. If you went up to a billion, all of a sudden, you're taking a huge amount of stress off of land because you're creating a protein that the world needs. That argument now, all of a sudden, gets people's attention. It's the truth. And to do all of those things, to make your fish fisheries healthy, you have to do all the right things for the ocean, even if you were never going to eat a fish. You have to deal with pollution. You have to deal with all the things that are happening to our oceans. I mean, how do you even talk about a sustainable habitat for fish when the water's warming to the point warming, where... Warming, there's more acid in it, there's less oxygen, the fish are having trouble breathing, we're destroying... I mean, the habitat is not only being destroyed by overfishing, it's being destroyed by calcification yeah. and acidification yeah. and all of that right. stuff. So right. is Oceana well, working on that? We're an ocean group, and we've always tried not to be anything but that so that we can remain effective and not try to tackle everything right. out of exuberance. Clearly, climate change, global warming, water's warming, Water's pH balance changing because of acidification, because of all the carbon that's drifting down into the water and it's changing the pH balance. And all of that is is huge. It is the biggest game in town. Right. Uh, saddest, scariest. Um, UN came out with all of that information right. of, you know, if the world wanted to tackle this immediately and change their ways drastically, we could, you know have it, an impact that would lessen what's happening to us. So what can, you know, this sort of um, action question that, that people always, when you're in a public speaking and people start, you, you open to questions, everyone always says, well, what can I do? It's all, it, it's, yeah. There's never an event where someone doesn't say that. So short term on fish, I think we've kind of talked about how to shop and and how to think about it. But what can people do I think you also have to this? say what's at stake, because otherwise you put people to sleep, because what's the problem? I can get a piece of fish anywhere. I can go around the mm. corner and get a you mm. know, fried fish sandwich, whatever. So it's hard. you have to get people to realize, for, for example, the health issue. We, we touched on it. But in the Bush administration, EPA, way back, 
you know, which was a relatively conservative organization. One out of six women of childbearing years have too much mercury mm. in their system to safely give birth to a child without the potential for neurological damage. And that comes from mercury, which comes from fish, which comes from coal companies burning you know, their coal and putting mercury out into the air. So now, all of a sudden, you get people's attention. Wait a minute. I, so I shouldn't eat the larger fish that have more mercury in them? I will learn what that is. I am interested now. Uh, wait, seafood fraud? I'm being cheated? Wait a minute. Now I'm interested. So what you can do, you know, is educate yourself on the fish that's good for you to eat. Small, local, wild is an easy way to go. You know, you educate yourself not to be a good environmentalist, but because of your health, you know, because of that's that's real. Right. So if you let science lead the way, stop being wasteful and you stop uh, being destructive. Fisheries, by and large, will come back. You know, the, the, if you draw a circle and inside that circle you don't fish anymore um, and so, you know, you can categorize, maybe you can do no commercial fishing and maybe recreational. You know, there are different ways to categorize that protected area. But the fish start bubbling over the side of that circle. And so fishermen are also, when they actually do it, happy with the results. You create more fish, more jobs, more money, if you do it correctly. What's the relationship between you and Oceana, and how'd you get? I mean, we talked about this seven years ago, so you're this is real for you. This is um, you're doing this. You've been doing it a while. Yes, I have. I've um, the reasons why are strange or hard to kind of. Actually, you know, the older I get, the realize. I'll answer your question about when all this started, but I've yeah, been doing it. Yeah, we want the weird reasons. Yeah, I started about thirty years ago, in the middle of the Cheers rock and roll years and a combination of things um cliche but true i was walking on a beach with my daughters just moved into santa monica and they were young kids and we bumped into a sign that said you know no swimming water polluted and i couldn't explain why or how and it was a gorgeous day and the ocean looked spectacular then i also met a man who was fighting occidental petroleum from digging, slant drilling, 60 oil wells into the Santa Monica Bay here, mm. right along PCH. And the fight had been going on for years. And we met, liked each other, came up with an idea to how to stop them permanently. And it worked. Wow. And we liked the conversation and we liked each other's company. So out of naivete, we started, you know, you know, my, my father has a bar and let's put on a play kind of thinking. <laughs> and we had hired somebody and we were in a basically our garage and we started American Oceans campaign and it was it never really it was really well respected in Washington we were kind of not the first but we were the beginning wave of people talking about oceans then uh, about 15 years ago Pew started Oceana and we merged with them ah. so you know I in one way, creating an organization around me with Bob Sulnick and all these people who are on the board and everything was really smart because I'm as flaky as any decent Los Angeles Right, but you have actor. awesome name recognition. No, what I mean is <laughs> I, I couldn't quit. 
I couldn't be flaky. You know, it was like I surrounded myself with these amazing people. And I've always known that my job was, you know, thank you for watching. Cheers. While we're talking, do you mind if I introduce you to this marine biologist who has something really important to say? <laughs> right. You know, I'm, a, I'm the shill in front of the tent where the good stuff is happening. Um, you're about to start a new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm? I am indeed. Are you excited about that? I'm very... Uh, I always love going to work with Larry David, and I have to credit him. He did change things around for me because I... Mary and I both started that show. For me, it was when I had just finished, a, you know, Cheers and Becker, and I felt like I had stayed at the the half-hour comedy sitcom too long, and I wasn't amusing myself, and other people were doing it better. So I was kind of unenthusiastic about acting. And he kind of rehabilitated me because you just went and had fun. And there was no studying. You just showed up and played. And it really reinvigorated me. And I think it also gave people another shot at me in a different way. So I do credit him, as much as I hate to in public, for, uh, you know, changing my life. Um, so is it sort of is showing up there the opposite of showing up at the good, like oh, the good Lord. place is like completely yeah. scripted and this is completely unscripted? Both those things. And, and the good place, you have to be like your version of a top athletic form because you need that clean, bright energy and your brain needs to be sharp because you're basically on our show like learning iambic pentameter. It's like really elevated kind of speech. So you work your ass off to be good at it. Right. And then you need a clean, high energy to do it. Whereas you can show up drunk, divorced, <laughs> and depressed... <laughs> <laughs> and who gives a shit, you know, kind of thing. And it still works. That's that's super interesting. And you can see it. But, um, yeah. you know, it's funny that Curb has kind of polished that is coming from somewhere. And well, just he like writes, you know, for people together, but He writes and works on everything, everything that you would do to create a, a half-hour script. He does right up until, okay, go write the dialogue. So everything is planned out and beats, and he knows where he needs to go. But then you go play. But the first time you do it in front of the cameras, it sucks, because all improvis improvisation sucks. And then you go, well, don't do that. Do this. That was funny. Do that. And by the fourth time you've done it, you've almost improvised the script. Fascinating. Yeah. Two years ago, I said, you know, because so much, so much TV is so bad, but you're always, like, looking for something that you like. Right. And two years ago, someone said, you should watch this thing, The Good Place. So I started watching The Good Place the first season, and then Kate, my daughter's into it, my partner Kathleen's, everybody I know is into it. So, you know, in the first season, The Good Bad Place or The Bad Good Place, whatever you refer yeah. to it as, The Good Place, that's really The Bad Place, um, there's this ongoing frozen yogurt joke. Right. So... What what is your idea of like food in hell, and what's your idea of food in heaven? Like, what is frozen yogurt really like? Something worth I, demonizing, or is well, there... I think I think <laughs> there was this wonderful line that I will butcher that that humans so cleverly took something really good, ice cream. <laughs> and made it just a little less good and called it frozen yogurt. Why would you do that? You know, why would you take something great and make it less great? Um, my hell foods now are a beautifully gorgeous cooked steak because <laughs> I can't eat it. 
So that's hell. Right. You know, uh, I'm not saying people shouldn't, but I can't, you know. Uh, you can't because you're a vegetarian? You can't no, because my cause body hurts when I... 300. All, all of the above. Right. But now sugar is just... Sugar, carb, fast-burning carbs, and this is not L.A. talking, it's my body. Right. I've now reached the point where my tolerance uh, is very little right. for foods that you know cause inflammation. So, And I promised my wife I wasn't going to use the word inflammation. You promised you weren't? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's a tough Let's one. Have, are we going to have an old person conversation here? No, 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 we're not. Uh, no, because I've promised my therapist never to have an old person conversation. <laughs> Um, what about foods that you really like? Can we go there? I basically do like Mediterranean. I do like my body and me. I mean, I may like the taste of different things, but I just don't enjoy the aftermath. Let's start with tequila. Tequila <laughs> is God-given drink that I still enjoy. No inflammation there. None <laughs> that I can remember. Right. Um, <laughs> uh I love fish. I love uh, fish. I love turkey. I love chicken. I do really well with those. And um, I love olive oil. And I love garlic and sautéed, you know, collard greens with garlic that's kind of crispy and brown. And, you know, I'm thrilled to eat that. I'm thrilled to eat a sweet potato. I'm, hmm. But not just because it's good for me. I like, you know, eating sweet potato with with some sort of butter or butter substitute or olive oil and cinnamon is to me like having a Good. pie. Do you cook? Uh, I I am a short order cook. I'm not your dinner chef. You're like God. scrambled eggs, BLT. Anything that's in the refrigerator I can make for you and I enjoy the, that short order. Let me feed the family. But then when it comes to dinner, I'm speechless. When you're working, when you're on the road, what do you eat then? Like when you're not at home, when you're doing these 12-hour days and people are shoving junk food at you, I've been on sets, what do you do then? How do you eat decently when you're when it's not under your control as much? Uh, you can always get egg whites. I have egg whites. I have turkey. You know, I'll have egg whites, turkey, and a, a, a corn tortilla for breakfast and be really happy yeah, and maybe a breakfast. little green salsa and be really, really happy. Um, I used to put goat cheese in it and maybe every once in a while I would. That kind of breakfast. Uh, lunch is easy. You know, I get the blandest. I ask people to bring it to me so I don't go through the, the actual line because if you look at the food that's available, you'll just stuff yourself. So now I eat, you know, a piece of chicken or a piece of fish, plain, no condiments, and broccoli. So you get slightly bored halfway through eating it, and you don't eat too much. You know, <laughs> it's a good strategy, yeah. actually. And, and really, my body's gotten to the point where it's like, here's the deal, Ted. You can eat, or a lot, or you can have energy to do these twelve-hour days. What do you want to do? And I really do have to choose. All right. You can eat whatever you want or you can feel good. Choose yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's uh, so happy. It's so much fun to talk to you. It is to, really nice to talk to you, too. This is great coffee, by the way. <laughs> I hope you all enjoyed that interview with Ted. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. And then we'll be back with Dr. Daniel Pauly. We'll talk quite seriously about some of the issues in our oceans and with fish today.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. Less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code BITMAN, B-I-T-T-M-A-N.
Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Dr. Pauly, when it comes to fish, there are two kinds of sustainability that we might be talking about. There's the whole overfishing issue, and then there's the climate crisis, which is determining the the nature of the oceans in a way that nothing in recorded history has ever done. So how do we think about them differently and together? Or or am I wrong? Is there there some other way to look at it? Oh, there's a strong strong link between the two. And um, I might elaborate on this point first. So overfishing uh, is is catching uh, less fish with more effort than you actually would need to catch more fish. This is the the incredible stupidity of it all. (laughs) So you deploy boats and you use energy that generate greenhouse gases in order to catch less fish than you would if you fished less. Uh, The the second link, uh, bottom trawling, uh, steer up the sediment and resuspend it. Uh, This paper that was published in Nature uh, a month ago uh, indicates that uh, lots of carbon dioxide is set free and uh, goes back into the atmosphere. Now, so over the millennia, over millions of years, a huge amount of carbon is, uh, has been drawn from the atmosphere and sedimented in the seas, right? And, and piles of rock, like shales and stuff, uh, that's all sediment. Sediment with organic matter, this carbon uh, that was buried, that is a, a huge reason not to have trawling. Mm-hmm. And trawling is also a devastating gear in terms of it catches at most 50% of the species it targets. Even in uh, northern countries and in temperate cold water countries where there are fewer species, the target species makes 50% perhaps of the catch and the rest is bycatch, which is discarded. So that is- And discarded means killed. It's not discarded to the ocean alive, it's killed, yeah. We know that trolling is- uh, reshaping uh, undersea landscape and seascape uh, in that it, it flattens everything and it has become a geologic force. Right. The, the better wind. comparison might be strip mining. 
Yeah, yeah. Liter literally cutting problem. off the tops of mountains, right? There was already a case against trolling, but it has become immensely more uh, stronger with with that recent uh, with that recent paper. I, the case against trolling was destruction of habitat, destruction of biodiversity, destruction of and competition against small scale fishers that are whose 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 livelihood is wiped out by trawlers and and so on. Uh, but uh, this recent paper, it adds to the case that can be made against trawler. How do we make fishing sustainable? How do we make it so that we can still be fishing and fish can still be feeding people 100 uh, years from now? Abandon this idea of sustainability because though in principle, we this is a good thing. We are in a situation with most fisheries in most countries where the biomass of fishable life has now been reduced enormously. And so sustaining that uh, is not a good policy. And in fact, what you need is to rebuild right. abundance. And the US has an explicit policy. Uh, it's called the Magnuson-Stevens Act, that any stock that is identified as overfished has to be rebuilt within 10 years. But it's uh, the U.S. is the only country of the world that where this kind of legislation has passed and and been been successfully implemented. If you rebuild in a major industrialized country, you reduce the incentive for sending boats out there in the middle of nowhere in the global south. The fish that people need to eat, um, as opposed to us who, who eat fish for fun or for pleasure. Mm -hmm. And is the neglect of uh, our own fisheries uh, in the global north has caused an, uh, the demand by the global north to be satisfied by the global, global south. south. Where people actually and, need and, to and fish so to eat. Isn't there a sort of paradox that the U United States can have these laws that say we are going to rebuild the stocks, but then import as much fish as we want to from everywhere in the world where the stocks are not being rebuilt? Yep. <laughs> and that is where the problem is, that this abundance has to be rebuilt everywhere. Canada, for example, had a monster stock of cod. Uh, actually, it is this cod was behind the founding of Canada by settlers from, from France and, and, and England, right? Because because they went to fish cod uh, in Newfoundland and so on. And this fishery, which lasted about five centuries, produced 100,000 to 200,000 tons a year. Without interruption, 200,000 tons. Then in, in the 60s, uh, in the fifth, late 50s, 60s, um, trawlers came into the picture from Europe. And uh, we were fishing like crazy. Uh, down to one kilometer depth. We were fishing the capital or in a bank vault instead of going to the teller and getting the interest from whatever we have in a bank, <laughs> right? We could get into the bank vault with a truck. And, and that, was, that was what was done. And uh, lasted about 20, 20 years and then it was over. And, and now, instead of 150,000, 150,000, 200,000 tons, 
the catch 10,000 tons. And this minuscule catch is enough to prevent the stock from rebuilding. Really? Right. But to go back to Magnus and Stevens, the way this works is that you say, here's a formula by which in 10 years, the existing principle of fish can reproduce at a rate that will get us to abundance again in 10 years. And the quotas are based on that. Yep. And not only are the quota based on that, but if they are not, you can sue them. And this is a good plan for local fisheries. And I guess there's a way you can argue that fisheries for most fish are local. Um, when you're talking about cod, you're talking about Gulf of Maine, Georgia's Bank, and so on. You're not talking about a global population. Yeah. And people say, oh, fish know no border and stuff. It's all nonsense. Actually, fish no borders because uh, borders of temperatures and, and so on, uh, water currents and so on, they, they know borders, they have borders, but fleets don't. Right. And also the market has no limit. It cannot be saturated anymore because we have in a full purpose, an infinite market. What's the advice to the individual, to the eater in terms of fish? Can we be agnostic um, about what we eat? Do we have to take care of what we eat? Should we not be eating fish think, at all? No. When young people ask me, what should I do? Mm. Um, should I eat this or that? I say, you cannot run a thing with your stomach. You have to run it with your head and with your heart, but not your stomach. Nothing has ever been changed by changing consumer behavior. The small percentage of people who do it voluntarily is the ferment that changes things, but it becomes effective only when that ferment catches on. And it catches on when it connects with governments. And, base, and it often usually connects through civil society. You're speaking about making change, which of course I'm in complete support of. But again, putting the, the cognitive dissonance question aside, you say that individuals, some percentage of individuals should and will act according to their beliefs. When it comes to people in North America, what should those beliefs look like as, as people who buy and eat fish? Perhaps uh, linking with, if this exists, with community-based fishing. Uh, uh, we have one in Vancouver, group called Skipper Otto, that uh, is artisanal. The fishing is small. We give them money in advance of the season, uh, $300, $500, something. Mm -hmm. uh, they, it allows them to equip themselves for the season. They go fishing, and then we get access to what they, whatever they have fished. We have no issue with provenance. We know what it is. Uh, yeah. We have no issue with uh, slavery on board of the ship and so on. Uh, if you get uh, that kind of uh, community-based fisheries, that is uh, one one thing one can propose, but there are very few community-based fisheries in, in North America. Right. Um, I, I know, I think it was 16 of them, <laughs> and only two or one in Canada. But uh, community-based farming uh, is known, right? Yeah, uh, you can go to that, uh, perhaps initiating something like that would be a good thing. If you have local label, we have a local label here called OceanWise, it's one thing, but again, you can follow the, also the Monterey Aquarium guidelines and right. they have little, but the point is not to be satisfied 
with yourself if you do that. You have to do more than that. Consumers is one aspect of your personality, but really the, the important one is the, the citizen. The difference between consumer and citizen is, is critical. That's really great. Dr. Pauli, thank you. You're welcome. In keeping with our fish theme, this is uh, steamed fish over garlicky rice. And I got to say, I've just fallen in love with this. I learned it in Italy a couple of years ago, but of course there are variations all over the world. Make some rice. Generally speaking, I'm an advocate of brown rice, but I got to say, this is an elegant dish. So if you don't want to compromise, do what I'm about to say. You, you can make the usual predictable compromises, of course, but make some white rice. Let's say for four people, two cups. That is, start with one cup of white rice, which will produce a couple of cups. Cook that pretty much as normal and then put it into a skillet with, let's say, half a stick of butter, salt, and lots of black pepper. Stir that around until the grains start to separate and then add about, let's say, a teaspoon of minced garlic and then stir that around until it becomes fragrant. Taste that. It should be garlicky. It should be salty. It should be buttery. If it's not, fix it. Um, I'll... I warned you about the roosters. There they are. Um, on that rice, lay as many fillets of uh, white-fleshed fish as will fit. You can use uh, thin-cut halibut. Down here in Bermuda, we use wahoo. In Italy, where I learned this, they used lake fish, freshwater fish. Anything will work. Firm fleshed fillets are best, but, but tender ones are fine too. Just put a layer of that fish on top of that rice, more salt and pepper, and more butter, and if you like, a little more garlic too. Cover that and cook over very low heat for like five minutes until a thin-bladed knife pierces the fish with little resistance. That's it. Taste. Make sure your seasoning's okay. Serve with lemon. That is like one of the great, simple fish dishes of all time, and, and I've been making it a lot. Enjoy that. Okay, now's when we're going to answer a few questions from listeners. Hi, this is Helen Conroy. So you're out running errands, and you bump into someone you haven't seen in ages. They invite you to dinner that evening, and you ask, what can I bring? They say, well, we can always use more dessert. You have no time for shopping between now and then, but you want to bring something you've made yourself. Using what's in your pantry and fridge, and given the time constraints, what will you bring? Kate Bittman, my older daughter, writes for the Bittman Project, does most of our social media, does a great deal of cooking for herself, her husband, and her young child, Holden, who happens to be my grandson. And um, she will weigh in from time to time on issues of general interest and on any cooking issue that involves children. So I have two answers to this question and they're both cookies. The first one is the two ingredient banana oatmeal cookies from How to Bake Everything. And I mean, yeah, if good. you have bananas around, that's just an incredible option and they're like almost instant. The second answer is the three ingredient peanut butter cookies that are all over the internet. Just Google three ingredient peanut butter cookies. It's egg, sugar, and peanut butter. Mm. Um, 
and those are also super fast and delicious and you can impress people with how quickly these things come together so that's fun too i have two ideas one is the you know the brownies from how to cook everything which my friend ed told me that nick malgeri's brownies are better so i have to try those but they're really good and that thing that trick you invented when you were a kid of putting aluminum foil in the pan so you can really just, now I use parchment paper, so you just pull them right out. I mean, that's just pretty simple. The second is, come on, you don't have time to stop at the gas station and buy haagen or six chipwitches or something like that. That's a pretty good dessert. Hey, Mark. Uh, my name is Liza Page. My question is, expiration dates. How accurate are those? And do you really need to pay attention? Like, I know, yes, meat goes bad. I know that. And, um, but some expiration dates are so far out. And so now I go to the market and I look at cans and stuff, let's say canned beans or even milk. I mean, like why is some milk good for two months and some milk good for two weeks? Like, I don't get it. Well, that second thing, that last thing is very specific. And the difference is that normally pasteurized milk is good for 10 days or two weeks, whatever. And then ultra pasteurized milk keeps a long, long time. And that's an example of an expiration date you probably can ignore. Because I think I've used box milk, ultra ultra high temperature, it's UHT milk. Um, I've used it a year after the expiration date, it's been fine. I don't think canned goods really have an expiration date. I mean, if the can rusts or bulges or is dented, damaged, uh, you know, I wouldn't trust that. But I think the whole idea of canning is that the food keeps basically forever. So the expiration date there is completely made up. I mean, there's all history of why that is, but it's not that important. But I think canned goods, jarred goods, if the seal is good, then the food inside should be good. And if it's not, it's gonna have mold or smell terrible or something. And fresh ingredients don't need an expiration date because you know when they go bad, they start to smell. So it's really pretty simple. I don't pay much attention to expiration dates. Hi, my name is Susan Richardson. And my question is about sourdough bread. I actually have a couple questions. Uh, first, what makes real sourdough bread real? For example, I've read that you can't add yeast to sourdough bread. If you do, it's not real sourdough. And number two, um, I live in Texas currently. I grew up on the West Coast of California and, of course, an abundance of beautiful sourdough bread available. But in Texas, I'm not finding so much. So I'm wondering, as consumers at the supermarket, what, would, what should we look for on the label of sourdough bread to know or have an idea that maybe we're getting some good stuff? I mean, it's a purist question. And um, I think what makes sourdough bread real is using a natural starter. If your starter is weak, though, and you feel like adding a pinch of yeast is going to make the difference between a lousy bread and a better bread, who's going to call you up and say your sourdough bread isn't real? I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, some purist is going to respond to this and say, oh, this is terrible. You can't add yeast to sourdough, but you can. I've done it. It works. I had, if you start a sourdough and you're eager to get bread going, um, typically when you're building a sourdough, you throw some of it out every now and then, or you use it for pancakes or whatever. 
you can use it to start a bread. And if it just doesn't seem to have enough oomph to get that bread going, you add a pinch of yeast and it works great. And you call that sourdough bread. So I don't think, uh, Susan, that you need to worry about this. Okay, so that is it for this week's questions. Please remember, if you have a question about food, cooking, whatever, anything food, call our toll-free, wow, it is toll-free listener question line at 833-FOODPOD. That's 833-366-3763. Leave us a message with your email address and phone number and name, please. Okay, thanks. The fish in our oceans are not protected as they should be. One reaction to this, which we discussed in my newsletter a couple of weeks ago, is let's not eat fish. We shouldn't eat fish. But the we in that question is tricky because there are a billion people around the world, and most of them are poor, who depend upon fish as their primary source of protein. So while in the long run, humans might eat less fish, in the short run, saying eat no fish is not a solution. The solution is worldwide management of fish resources, true outlawing of pirates and fishing operations that employ slave labor, of which there are quite a few, better management of those fish that remain. Some species like bluefin tuna are really going to be off limits to most of us for a while. Others like cod and haddock and yellowfin tuna and many, many others can be made to be sustainable at current levels as long as management is good. Just wanted to also thank the great Ted Danson and the great Daniel Pauly for their time for this podcast. I hope, uh, I'm sure you learned a lot about oceans and ocean policy, overfishing, etc. And um, totally serious topic that we are happy to be able to cover with such knowledgeable and entertaining people. You may want to have a look at Oceana's website, and it is oceana.org, O-C-E-A-N-A dot O-R-G, an organization well worth supporting, and they have awesome reading material on their website. Folks, if you liked today's episode, and if you're still listening, I can assume that you did, then please subscribe to Food with Mark Bittman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen. It would be real helpful if you left us a five-star review on Apple, and detailed reviews are the best way for new listeners to discover the show. You can find the recipe from today's show in the episode show notes or at BittmanProject.com or at markbitman.com. They all kind of go to the same place. Finally, Food with Mark Bittman is a part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Check out Airwave's other shows at airwavemedia.com or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Mark Bittman, and thanks again for listening to Food. See you next week. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.